Welcome back to Mission Daily. On this special midweek episode of the show, Chad Grills, the CEO of Mission, sits down with Kamal Ravikant. Kamal has done it all. Trekked through the Himalayas, walked across Spain, served our country in the U.S. Army Infantry, written several bestsellers. And today he is a partner at Evolve.vc, a seed and A-round investment firm. On this episode, Chad and Kamal talk about Kamal's experience in the military and in Silicon Valley and deep dive into why the most transformative thing you can do is simply love yourself. Enjoy this episode. Mission Daily is created by our team at mission.org. When you, you were thinking about the military, when did that uh, first enter your head and what was the... Um, what was the image you had in your head of the of the military when you were first thinking about it? So I was in college. I was going to a big state school at a full ride, right? And man, all I did was party and not go to my classes and get, you know, and, and I was doing getting A's and B's because you just crammed the night to before. It was classic, you know, classic freshman year, that kind of stuff. And I remember thinking like, is this it? I want to be challenged. I want to, I want something bigger. I was like felt drifting. And also, look, I'm a... Um, I'm an immigrant child, you know, we came to this country when I was a little kid. So I was always felt like a loyalty to my adopted country. You know, I don't think I was adopted country. I'm American, right? So I always felt like, you know, I want to serve this country in some way. And so that, at that time when I was kind of like drifting and kind of not sure what, what I wanted, I remember going just like walking by a recruiter's office. It might have been RTC or something, but then I went to a recruiter's office and I just went to all the different recruiters. I was like, you know what? This is it. It seemed like the coolest thing I, I could do at 18. And, you know, remember the ASVAB? Yes. It's the test that um, those who don't know is like you basically help decides what, what your specialty is going to be in the military. And I scored like 90th and 99th percentile or something like that. So I could have chosen a lot. And I chosen the one thing that, and this is why you and I repeat, the one thing that people who fail the ASVAB take, <laughs> which was infantry. <laughs> I remember, did the MEPS people try to like slow you down and like counsel you? And because they were they were doing the same thing with me, I was uh, went in, stumbled into ASVAB, a bit hungover, did did great, could do anything. And uh, I remember saying, "No, this is the path for me. I want to do infantry, uh, ROTC." And when I got out, I got back into college, and I just thought, "This college is not right. It's not not for me." And my unit got called to deploy, and ROTC allows you to be exempt from the deployment. And I can remember thinking like, if I do this in this private room with this major that's doing ROTC, nobody will ever know. Nobody will ever know that I dodged a deployment, but that's not what I signed up for. And so I ended up deploying enlisted and um, I'm glad, I, I'm really, really glad I did. No, they didn't try to cancel me out. I think they had some quotas to fill and they were... <laughs> <laughs> then I was like, what's the toughest inventory you got? They said, we have a mountain unit. I was like, ooh, mountain I'll take I'll take mountains. Not thinking, realizing later on, all that means is you just lie around practicing ambushes and snow. It's way more glamorous when you're signing up than the reality. With that's a, a really interesting question though, because with all the uh, media images that we see, which are all these forms of you know perfection, and uh, whether it's on social media or whether they're multi-million dollar recruiting campaigns that the military puts out, like our expectations rarely match with reality. And I think that's a, an interesting kind of starting point to get into your, your story more. Um, what were your expectations like with the military? And as you started to like go through life and go through the military, um, were you disappointed? Did you find your expectations lacking or, or did you not have any? 
I didn't have much because I didn't know what I was getting myself into, man. Like, it just was like more like a very fast decision. It was a very, very fast decision. And summer break was coming anyway. And the time, and they were just like, okay. And then, you know, sign up and then two weeks or whatever, we'll be shipping you off to Benning. I was like, sweet. Kamal, so we first connected uh, on Instagram, I think, or email back in 2012. And I just read your book when you published it. And I immediately read the book. I was, uh, I just left the military. I was finishing a deployment, really struggling with what to do next. I was depressed. And I just thought, wow, this is, this is it. And it was very intimidating for me because I didn't know how long it would take to understand this message or to apply it or to live, you know, live from it. Can you tell us about like, maybe take us back to when you first wrote the, the book? Yeah, so now, you know, with the caveat, there's, there's, there's the original version, now there's the expanded version. And they're actually very, there's a lot more in this expanded version, which um, I needed to put in the original version, but I was too scared to put, you know, and I don't think I was, I had the experience in this practice enough to put, you know, so this was, I self-published this little book in 2012. So here I am, I have a career in Silicon Valley building startups. You know, that's what I've known for. And I was building a company that I self-funded for years. I was doing really well and I burnt myself out building it for years and then the whole thing exploded and I lost everything. And at the same time, I had all these other life events happen and then just like, it was just like all just happened at one point and I just kind of fell apart with that. I just fell apart with it. And um, and then one night, um, I remember I was just miserable, man. I was just like in the depths of like, just absolute misery, not wanting to be here. And I was like, man, I, I, I got to get out of this or die trying. I can't be like this anymore. My head was like the worst place to be. And I, I basically staggered over to my desk and I have a journal that I keep in my, I used to keep in my desk and I just opened it up and I wrote about it myself. And what was interesting was I didn't know what the, what I was going to write. I just knew I had to write something that would get me out of this, make me get out of this. And I'm writing about to love myself, you know, and it was a pretty like, hardcore vibe. I wasn't just like, I love myself. Forget the actual, it's in the book, right? The whole wow. And I remember sitting back and thinking, now, where did that come from? Like, I'm not a guy, you know, who sat around thinking about, oh, how do I love myself? I don't know where it came from. And it was kind of like interesting. It was, it was something deep, something deep that, that came from like, this is what's going to save you. And because I've written a vow to myself, I was like, okay, I got to figure this out. I got to do this. Now, I'd never been trained in this. You know, as love and bravos, we don't get training and loving ourselves. Maybe we missed it though. Maybe they, they might have that new training now. <laughs> or like startups, there was none of that. We're like hard charging, you know, killing it, just grinding through quote unquote crushing and all that, all that, you know, all those buzzwords. And so I had to figure out how to do it. Now, one thing I know is that ultimately it's an inside out game. You got to work on the inside. This wasn't like, I'm going to go start taking bubble baths and drinking champagne. That's not loving myself because I'll still be feeling miserable, right? So I started trying out anything I could in my head that would actually make me love myself. And I didn't know. I didn't know what I was doing, and which is probably the thing. That's why I figured it out because I didn't know what I was doing. I don't have a PhD in loving yourself. I don't have a, I never studied it. You know, I can have a degree in economics and biology, right? Um, I do know enough neuroscience to know that like neurons that, you know, uh, fire together, wire together. So if you work with particular thought patterns with feelings, those start to run more on their own. And, and so I started using that concept and just started doing things in my head and like, you know, creating thoughts and emotions. And then that basically was like a Hubbard's book model where in the, in the, in the middle, 
the hub is the whole love yourself. And then spoke is attacking from different ways using the same basic theme and concept to the point it becomes like almost like a like an ex, like a little practice that compounds in itself. And this this wasn't conscious. This just happened, you know, started had things that started working and started doing more to what it didn't work. And then I came up with like a simple practice of doing every day. And it really shifted my inside, you know, and really started to shift my inside. And I noticed, you know, as I shifted my inside, my outside started to shift. And I started to use the word magic to describe my life. And this is a guy who just weeks ago was hating himself, was hating life. You know, was just in the depths. Like he was felt he had failed and let everybody down and wasn't worth it anymore. You know, wasn't worth it, was an imposter, you name it, the whole thing, right? To go from that within weeks to thinking of my life as magic. That's pretty profound. And that's an inside game. That doesn't happen from the outside. Well, not and, just thinking it, but new opportunities, events, scenarios, and things that you couldn't imagine before started to come into your life on your radar. And uh, that's that's the part for me that felt like, okay, too good to be true. But then as I get older and as I've gone through more things, it uh, it it seems to it seems to work that way, right? Like you said something in the book along the lines that life finally realizes that you're serious or you've got the sen- the central message right, and uh, the world starts maybe working for you. It's not like I've become the love yourself guy. You know, I'm not I'm not some guru or something like that. I- I'm not selling a program, you know, or anything like that, where I got to be just always be looking the part, you know, like I've actually gotten lazy over the time over the years, but, uh, you know, life might be going good or I might get caught up in things that are happening. And, and I stopped doing it and each time I notice my life gets worse or I get worse because when you get worse on the inside, your life gets worse. And so each time I've gone in and done the practice and my life gets better again, like because I get better again. Like it's like, oh my God, this still works. This works each time. You know, it's because it's the mind. It's the mind. It's the it's the spirit. You know, like it's the thing that we need to pay the most attention to, and it's the thing we pay the least attention to. And yet, it's the thing that drives everything. You know, you and I, we work out, we take care of our health. You know, how much time do we spend in the gym? How much time do we like focus on eating healthy? And then again, how much time do we spend on working on the mind? You know, on on our internal emotional self. And you say that you know we think we're thinking, but often these are just repetitive loops and memories and. Uh, things that are essentially just like triggering us repeatedly again and again to keep us away from that place. Yeah, I mean, look, pain is pain, fear is fear, anger is anger. The scenery changes. The the basics are running, right? The basic programs are running. And it's like, okay, what is the one that I want to run the show more often than not? You know, you don't, I don't think doing this, you become some, you achieve nirvana, but what you do achieve is, uh, heck, you walk around feeling love for yourself. It's a beautiful thing. That affirmation too, that I love myself, I love myself, I love myself. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to even say out loud. Like right, right when I was saying that the third time, it's like you get that kind of cringe. Like who who else is listening? What are they going to think? Or you know, sometimes that voice can appear. Um, so how did you kind of get over that maybe inner voice or the doubt as you're going about this practice, feeling silly because it's uh, sometimes when you're being the fool, it's hard to know that you know, eventually you, it's hard, it's hard to know if you'll ever get out of that. Right. And it's not just like an average affirmation. It's not like I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. I'm happy. You know, like, it's not like that. Like there's nuances to it, which I explained in the book and how to do it. Right. Using the concept of love and breath and light, you know, the light coming in and doing it with the in breath and releasing whatever comes, you know, with the out, it's a bit of, it becomes like almost like a way of breathing you just do throughout the day. And that's what makes it difference it's not just the standard Craig you know like okay let me just make an affirmation about myself that that's just the uh the way to like get a mind the mind needs to think 
right? So to give it that thought to focus, but then there's more to it that that's, that's just the, the, that's just to occupy the mind so you can do the real work, which is bringing the light, bringing in the feeling, releasing what's inside. And it's not something that you have to sit aside and do though, you know, it's something you can just do like throughout the day, whatever you're doing. I do that in, you know, between stats at the gym, you know, um, and then after a while, you notice this thought loop starts to run more and more. What happens is, the interesting thing is you notice your negative thoughts get less. It's like this, it's like light versus darkness, you know, light pushes out darkness. So it's like, it's, that's a very interesting thing you just notice. Like, you know, instead of trying to fight, if you try to fight a negative thought, it's you're going to lose, right? It's like fighting darkness. You can't, um, you gotta turn, you got to turn on the light and, and so when you work in something like this, the light, you just notice negative thoughts become less and less. That in itself is remarkable. And that's the type of thing too, where you can get the energy to keep going that you, even though your reservoir might be tapped, you might feel like I can't keep going on. Uh, but just one day where you have less negative thoughts can be a catalyst for, you know, taking a risk or contacting somebody, getting to the gym, getting out there more. Um, I'm curious to know, how how long was it when you started this practice? Like, because pe- people are thinking right now, like, how long does it take to get results, right? If you follow it the way I outline in the book and like do the whole thing, please, if you want the real results, fast results, do the whole thing. And it's not a lot of work. Just trust me on it. Like, if I can do it, anyone can, you know, because um, there is a thing I make you go through, you know, the, the expanded version, uh, the new version, which is the only version available anymore. You know, I... I put that out because after after about seven years of the book being out, first of all, I've learned a lot of the practice. I've evolved it. Second, I I put my email address in the original book because I didn't expect to sell any copies. And guess what? I got a lot of emails of people whose lives were changed, but also questions. And I got emails from people who stopped them killing themselves. It was amazing, right? But I also got questions. And, I, and after six, seven years, you notice a pattern in the questions because I respond to them, right? And I was like, you know what? I need to be, for this book to be real lasting, for the effects to be lasting, I got to go all in and answer all those questions in a way so that people understand the nuances of what I've done. And so like how to make it a press, something that completely transforms you and sticks, which is why I set out to do, I wrote the expanded version and that's what's in there. I have emails from, you know, 16 year old girls to 72 year old women to veterans to, you know, to mothers to this, that it's like, because love, self love is, is, is the fundamental is the very basic thing. This is, I mean, one thing I found is it's really helpful book. If someone's going through a hard thing, this book snaps you out of it. It gives you hope and it gives you a way out and it gives you something to implement right away inside your head. It doesn't, you don't need to sit down and journal. You don't need to do any of that. You don't need to do stretch for 20 minutes. You don't need to do anything like that. It's just some stuff in your head and you notice right away it starts to shift you. So that, in that case, it works when you are going through a hard time. But outside of that, like, um, I've, I've received, you know, I've been contacted with so many people just like, look, there's finally, like, I didn't even realize I wasn't loving myself. I finally realized I am. And like, it's made my life better, better parent. It's made me a better, you know, better partner. It's, it's very interesting how it's like, um, how this book hit this guy, that guy stuff. It's because it's, we're all wired for love, man. And we all seek it. We all like, it's funny, like, you seem to be starving for it. I'll speak for myself, you know? We seem to like, the, what is it that, the thing that we, uh, you are, you know, what is that thing? Where is it from? You are that which you seek. It might even be biblical, I'm not sure, but you are that which you seek. And it's like, 
but you know it's it's so interesting that the very thing that we're wired for the very thing that that, that creates uh magic in our lives the thing that we obviously do from the outside i'm very guilty of it so like you know it's, it's like i don't i think in some ways you know it took a guy who wasn't long of himself to figure it out to be able to write about it in a way that anyone else can do it because if someone was naturally loving themselves it's like someone who's you know what i mean it's like someone who got got sick and worked did certain things to make themselves feel make themselves better that's the person you want to learn from how to get better but it is interesting lately i've seen a ranking in amazon and under ptsd which is really i got an email today from a guy in um pennsylvania beautiful email he said you know like i've been doing uh, 12 step programs for 27 years i've been uh, guiding people through it and everything that i took me found took me to get there it's already in your book the one core thing and he said um i've started a you know like a i have a recovery center you know we have 76 classes like meetings a month and uh, 4000 people come through a month uh, it's a real pennsylvania and he said i want to buy 100 copies i want these people to have it you know it's just remarkable it does help especially in the new version because in the first version i really held back about who i was and the new version you know what i've learned my readers is people sometimes need to know that they're not alone that they're not the only one who's been through trauma who's been through abuse who's been through hard stuff i share it all why not to share my laundry but i don't need people to know about my childhood i don't need to people to know about past but it's like look but this is what i did to get better how i was loving myself to get better here and look how i did it here and how i did it here you know um it's uh it's pretty remarkable man like how people respond to something like it It really is. And uh I mean you mentioned trauma and childhood and abuse and everyone has gone through some form. Life is just a traumatic a, a traumatic event and there's psychological terrors, there's emotional terrors and we can never really know what someone else has been through, right? And how the, like these days I'm curious how are you thinking about trauma and recovery and uh you know continuing the practice uh i know that you included a lot more in the expanded version um are there any new thoughts are, are there any new perspectives that you've had after putting it out there into the world um well the book just came out last week and i've been working on it i mean until the last one with the publisher until maybe a few months ago like editing it like crazy like copy editing with like in copy editing the copy editor i think with this book everything i need to say about the subject i've said like it's like and it's just a matter of applying it you know I, because there were a lot of new thoughts between those 6 years and things that i noticed that work that i hadn't put in the original book you know that made it because one thing i'm learning all these things is the nuances that matter like for example if i tell you in a podcast hey you know what if you want to really be strong um you should really go do squats deadlifts bench and and presses go versus i show you how to do them and i show you what is right form and right thing that makes a difference that makes it last that keeps you from getting injured well at least i'm working out same thing i realized with something like this it's it needs i needed to show people the nuances and also show them where i failed right and how i got that and how i recovered and what i learned there so that they don't have to fail and learn from that they can just learn from me failing and 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 the lessons there and sometimes we like you know we don't learn from bullet points you know we like bullet points we don't carry them with us for the rest of our lives but stories you know with with like practical lessons told in you know we carry those with us um so is there anything new honestly am i doing anything new 
Not really. I'm, I'm applying to practice. I sometimes play around with like what I'm telling myself when I'm doing it, but the, but the feeling and the light and all that is the same. It's the very basics, you know, it's like, uh, yeah, I haven't, I haven't done anything new. It's, I mean, I've done a lot new between the original version, a lot the new version, which is in there. And since then, I, I'm just like trying to apply it. And uh, so I'm curious now with, as you're moving forward and you have the book out there, uh, you also have another book that's, that's wonderful about 60% through it's called rebirth. I, I think this is like really important to point out that it's not like you mentioned, you're not the love yourself guru. Uh, although that's a really important message. And when you're crafting those stories and sharing those stories, I'm really curious to know how much emotion do you allow yourself to have? And are you, you know, I think, I don't know if it was, uh, Hemingway or somebody said, you know, no tears in the writer, no tears in the reader. When, when you write, do you get emotional? To really write stuff, you got to feel it. Yeah. And you may not even see the stuff I wrote to get to what I, uh, what is on the page. Well said. And in, in that writing process, because that's something for our listeners out there, that's always top of mind. Many people that listen are creatives and whether you're, you consider yourself a creative or not, if you're doing any type of text messaging or writing throughout the day, it's uh, it's this opportunity, right, to bleed on the page or maybe to try to bleed through your iPhone to another person. And you're a great writer. You're you know you're very whether it's in emails or anything like that. Are you actively working? Are you always you know meticulous with your writing? And are are you able to kind of uh, get past that point of perfectionism and? Um, you know, publish faster now? Uh, I'm just curious, like, how has your writing evolved? Uh, short pieces I can, uh, but if I'm working on a book, then it's just, a book is a journey, man. It's a long journey. It's like, I'm not ready to write another book right now, you know, because uh, you give everything to it. You just give it every single thing you got. Um, and you do it again and again and again, like the writing is in the rewriting. How many of you said that? Who knows how many unnumbered drafts I end up, I end up working on? Because my thing is every single word has to matter. So half my time I'm stripping words. I'm writing and I'm stripping and writing and I'm stripping. And it, it's, uh, it's, uh, but outside of that, I do take breaks and I don't write. I just take breaks. Like right now I'm a bit of a break. I, I think that's, that's really healthy and that, that's a great thing because I know for myself, it's uh, for anyone that has you know, type A or addictive personality or whatever you want to call it, it's very tempting when you, do, you know, develop the habit or you're writing or you're creating consistently uh, to want to get addicted to that, right? And want to feel like, okay, I'm doing it every single day. And what you just pointed out is really important important to avoid burnout, which is maybe to take a step back sometimes when you do fully exhaust yourself on a creative project. Um, did you always give yourself permission to step back after a project was, you know, finished or out there in the world? You kind of have to. It's like even like when you build a company and you give it your all, and you kind of burn at the end. You know, you don't just jump into building another company from scratch. You need to take a break because it won't be as great. You won't be giving your all to it. You know, you need to come to these things with also fresh eyes. And sometimes you just live a bit and just experience life, uh, the ups and the downs, and then you have material. You know, I think it's anything in any pursuit where you have to give your all. You know, like. Um, I'm sure it's the same in sports. You can't just go nonstop forever, right? Season the seasons. Yeah. And the, one of the things you reminded me of in the first time we met was uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint. 
when I was uh, all all jazzed up about starting my company after the military. And that's just that's really important to remember is that after you run a marathon, it's not wise to just run the next one right away. It's something I learned the hard way. It's a piece of advice that gave me years ago. I didn't listen to him at that time. You know, I learned a lot of other stuff. You know, we learned the hard way. Do you feel like yeah. a, a lot of those lessons are just maybe impossible to learn until you've been through it, until you've had that direct experience, until you've uh, got to that place? Because it, it's... I hope not. Yeah. I hope there are people wiser than me, you know, who actually just learn <laughs> and, and actually say, okay, all right, you're right. I'm going to I'm gonna relax a bit. I think it's a, it's a personal thing. You know, I think there's some lessons we have to learn our own, depending on the individual, and some you can just learn from others. Yeah, I hope I hope that's the case as well. And with, uh, are you based in New York now, or where are you calling in from? I'm all over the place, but I'm, st- I'm staying in New York right now. Yeah. Okay, great. And was that moving? You know, moving to New York and getting, uh, you know, moving from Silicon Valley because you you were based here for a long time, a long time, right? Yeah. Was that transition important for your your life? You know, I, I think. I'd read where you had always wanted to live in New York. You had this this dream of being a writer in New York, and uh, was that cathartic? Was it uh, was I it great? To experience it. I wanted to see what it was like. You know, like we we grew up outside of New York City. Um, you know, single mom raised my brother and I. We were we had no money, so like Manhattan was like the promised land that we never got to go to. We had no money. Like I think I went to a couple of times growing up. That's it, right? I'll just I'd like to come back here when I can actually afford it. That's all it was. I wanted to experience it. Like, well, you know, what the child couldn't, you know, what the child couldn't. Um, I think that's that's a lot of what it was. I don't know if it's, it's made my creativity any better, though, I'll be honest. I, th- I think my creativity is best in nature. Same. And when you do get to get out into nature, uh, what, are, what are you doing? Are you going, are you traveling places? Are you going to... Uh, workshops, events? Do you like to travel solo? Do you like to travel with groups of friends? Uh, how do you like to get out into nature? I do workshops. Yeah. Uh, unless I'm like learning something, I like to dance or yoga. If I want to learn something, that's like that. Otherwise, right. I really do workshops. Um, no, you should travel my own or if I'm with someone, travel you know, with them. But uh, but that's it. Like uh, I'm actually, you know, as we talked in the beginning, I'm recovering from a couple of emergency surgeries. And so the body's healing my main thing is like once i'm better i want to start traveling again you know you kind of it's such a you know when i was uh 25 you know i had a backpack and i wander around but like for eight months with three thousand dollars to my name wander around like asia and europe for eight months with a, and a backpack you know and that was some pretty formative stuff and uh you know the travel, you know, no one's ever worse for having traveled. Yeah, you're you're bound to come back with some new insights or at least uh, a story or two to tell. Yeah, you just look at life. You're more awake because you're in a different place. You're a stranger in a strange land or whatever. You're just more alive and more awake when you're traveling. Otherwise, the days just blend into each other. Yeah, they really do. And when so when people listening to this to, they might think of you as, you know, uh, a writer, but there, you've done so many different things. And I was curious to know, you know, can we dive into any of, are there any specific points in either your past or your present that you're excited about right now, or you like to, uh, you know, to talk about, because you have an interesting career with consulting. Um, you were, you know, you're working in hospitals with hot, you know, hospice care 
uh, for a while, correct? Yeah, I was doing trauma research, but that was out of college. That was a okay, got gotcha. you. Then I went off to uh, do startups, and startups have been my main main thing in my career. And then, you know, then the last few years, I built a, a venture capital firm that's my own, and then just I invested in startups. So I'm taking a bit of a break from it right now, but that I do enjoy doing that because all it is is betting on people. Because I do seed stage, right? And so, like, you know, I'll give you a, a piece of advice to anyone who's doing a seed stage startup. If an investor wants to look at, like, especially projections, that's not the right investment for you. You know, because it's all airy-fairy. It's just all made of numbers. You know, you understand that it's you're betting on the person. Can this person pull this off? That's all it is. And I like betting on people. Yeah, and I think that your career is, it kind of lends itself well to that because you have such a diverse uh, collection of people that you've met all over the world and those type of character assessments and judgments on people, it almost feels like that's uh, an art that's being lost in the world where we want to turn people and groups of people into statistics and project what they may or may not do. But ultimately that judge of character, you know, can only be built from millions and millions of, you know, interpersonal interactions. So uh, yeah. How do you go about like assessing and judging someone's character potential yeah, everything like that. It's very interesting. It's more like, I'll give you an example. One of my favorite investments um, was in a company called, um, that built the cryptocurrency Zcash. Zcash was like the real, first real private, truly private uh, private cryptocurrency. Now, when I looked at it, I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about privacy, all, you know, cryptography. Like that's, that's a level of math that is way above my pay grade. And I talked to Zuko, the founder, uh, by Skype. So we've never met in person. We talked on Skype. I literally understood one of 10 words. But this guy had a passion. And not just a passion. He was smart. He knew, You could tell he knows his stuff. You could tell that this is the guy that others are going to want to join. And others were already joining who were like the heavy hitters, cryptographers in the space. He was doing this before it he was doing this before it was sexy, before everyone was trying to like, I, I see you making money. He was living in his car at one point doing it. You know, he cared. This was his problem to solve. He needed to solve this problem. I remember thinking, this is probably most likely going to fail because this is a long shot. But this is a hell of a bet. This is one, if it works, it'll be great. And I'll have back someone who was born to do this. If you can find people who were born to do what they're doing and have that passion, those are the best ones to bet. Because let's say, even if it fails, you don't regret it. You know, the back of people who are doing what they were born to do, like, um, that is like, when you find that, you know, it's, it's great. You're trying to like figure out from that by talking to them, can they do this? Can they pull this off? And also who they're surrounding themselves with. Yeah, that's very important. I look at who the other investors are. You know, that tells me a lot about the kind of, uh, kind of help that you're going to get because you need, you need people to open doors for you, right? Using the Zuko model example, there were some pretty impressive investors who were joining who I, I knew were looking at it and were like really liking it, were probably going to join. And these were door openers, right? And that's actually very important. People forget that, you know, no startup is built in a vacuum. You know, there's, there's dumb money and then there's like really helpful money. And if you get really, and helpful money isn't showing up at the office every day and working. It could be, but usually they get in the way. Um, what you want is someone who's like, oh, you need a thousand customers. Okay, let me make some phone calls. And then this company will give you a thousand customers done. That's the kind of person you want. That's the kind of investor I like to be. Um, and I have done some of my investments, be able to help them like that just through my network. And that's so much fun. They're like, you need this and that'll move the dial. Okay, let me spend a day making calls. Okay, I found it here. You go, guys, have fun. That's fun. 
Yeah, the, the feeling that comes afterwards when you help someone with something that they could not not previously do or maybe even imagine, that's uh, it's a priceless feeling. And uh, Especially when you've invested in them. You know, that's even cooler. Yes. You know, because I've been helping people something Valley all my career, but it's like now they're going to help them and I'm invested in them. It's like, sweet. Yeah. And I remember another thing you have, have said, or I, th- I think you, you mentioned before, which is, you know, you often try to seek out being uh, the dumbest guy at the table. And uh, we're basically, you know, seeking out the room where you're, it's filled with people that are smarter than you and, and learning to get comfortable in those environments. And for anyone out there that, you know, the first couple of times, you do that. The imposter syndrome can be so loud. It's, you know, it's ringing in your ears uh, when you know you don't have any credentials to be there, but you kind of snuck in and you're, you know, shouldering to shoulder, you know, with whether it's like in Silicon Valley, whether it's like billionaires or whatever the case is, it's, uh, it's something that it takes a while to get comfortable with. Right. Yeah, it does. But here's a le- also an interesting secret. Everyone's got imposter syndrome. And some, some are better actors than others. And yeah. yeah. And Kamal, when you're, are you consuming much media? Are you, are you looking outward at all now? Do you try to insulate yourself? Uh, every time I look at the news, I regret it. The news is a, like a, is a, like a, like a vortex. You just fall into it. You can't help it. It's like, it's like, I don't know. It's like watching accidents, right? You just get, it's, I don't know what is human, any human behavior. You get sucked in. So I try, I really try not to, I try to, uh, right now I'm kind of in healing mode or recovering mode. So I'm just like doing a lot of thinking. Uh, maybe some reading here and there. I watch a lot of fitness videos. You ever watch Athlete X, uh, Jeff Cavalier? No, I'll check it out. Amazing. Like, I just basically binge watch his fit, his workout videos. Nine million followers on YouTube or something like that, rightfully so. I watch things like, I geek out on things like that. Yeah, niche media or, you know, creator-driven media like that, that's uh, that's a brand new thing. And it's, uh, it's so, so exciting when they're, are these like, you know, mini pockets and smaller worlds and scenes out there and creators that uh, haven't yet maybe reached mainstream adoption, but are still like the best in the world at what they're teaching at what they're doing. And, you know, these folks are out there waiting to be discovered. Before you had to go through the powers that be and be selected and only a few of you got to be in front of the front of the crowd. Really, right? Like the, they, the, the people who control the networks were the were the tastemakers, right? Now a freaking kid with an iPhone or Android is the take. A sixty year old is a tastemaker, right? A sixty year old can actually like move the dial, can cause companies to grow or collapse. Now, if you have quality over time, you can actually stand out, and you have the distribution. YouTube, for example, this guy Jeff Cavalier, like, how would I have discovered him? His fitness videos are off the charts. And like you, I learned so much with every video I watch. And then actually, anyone who goes, read the comments. And everyone's like so admiring of him. But the comments are just hysterical. And then that just shows you humanity, you know, just happening. Um, but before he could, this guy could probably just have had his gym. And I think he lives in Connecticut, right? Had his gym, doing personal training, whatever. Now he's got something like 9 million fans. He sells courses as well. And he's sure he makes a few million bucks a year. You know, just given looking at the numbers and the math. And good for him didn't exist before you know there's this you could be one in any vertical you know but it's it's like look my first book uh the first version of love yourself right i self-published it on amazon it was uh, and i didn't expect to sign any copies i've been writing for years collecting rejection letters and i wrote this little book put it out and it became a hit and that book allowed me to then go on and get picked up by publishers and, and, and you know 
and write other books. Uh, you know, in fact, in, uh, I was wondering, do I want to self-publish uh, the updated version of Love Yourself? Because that's an option. Uh, self-publishing worked out really well for me, right? And I realized there were still certain things for global distribution. This book, you know, if I want it out of the world, if I want it out in Russian, if I want it out in Chinese, if I want it out in, because I get emails from all those country people saying, look, you know, I would love to have a translation for my mom. That's one request I got a lot. Could you have a translation this kind of this language for my mom? That was a very common request. That's fascinating. Across different countries, across the show that human are, we are all like so same, similar, right? And if I want that, then I can't, I don't want to be a full-time, run a translation company, publishing company, and Amazon is not the, the, the uh, it's a power, you know, for, buying stuff online is great here but not other parts of the world right you got to go through some stuff traditional distribution channels so that's why i went to harper one and they turned to be amazing they're like so they sold it in many different countries you know so now we'll be out in all these different countries and their local languages which just blows my mind so you still do need that you know it's like we still do need um the, the old distribution channels but these new distribution channels allow us to actually stand out and create a name for ourselves. It's, it's amazing. I love this modern age that we've built. Are you, are you out in uh, SF anymore or the Bay Area occasionally? I do come there, you know, for business to see family. Sure, sure. I'm sure I'll be there end of month or early February. Okay, awesome. Yeah, when you're in town, we'll have to try to get maybe an in-person interview or some type of uh, maybe event or, you know, book thing where you can stop by. But uh, yeah, the, uh, the book Kamal, really, it, it didn't, I don't want to say the book changed my life because the, the book didn't, but the, the practice did and meeting you and, and reading it and starting to apply it. Uh, I would really encourage our listeners to get the book, check it out, um, because I, I don't have everything figured out, but I know that message and that central theme, there's, there's something really, really, really important there. So uh, I just want to thank you for that. And uh, the new expanded version, it's out now. It's out everywhere. And uh, so, yeah. Are you, uh, any final thoughts maybe you want to leave listeners with? No, I'm just, you know, thanks for having me, man. Yeah, of course. Anytime, man. Mission Daily and all of our podcasts are created with love by our team at mission.org. We own and operate a network of podcasts and a brand and story studio designed to accelerate learning. Our clients include companies like Salesforce, they're a customer times five, Twilio, and Katera, who work with us because we produce results. To learn more and get our case studies, check out mission.org studios. If you're tired of media and news that promotes fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and if you want an antidote to all that chaos, you're at the right place. Subscribe here and to our daily newsletter at mission.org. Each morning, you'll get a newsletter that will help you start your morning and your day off right. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time.